Hi, this is Sam Chamberlain, and welcome to Things to Ponder, the sermon podcast from St. Mary's United Church of Christ in Silver Run, Maryland. Follow along with St. Mary's at stmarysucc.org or on Facebook and Instagram. Wishing you peace and good, my friends. I ended up on a mountain and heard from God. Like the apostles, I didn't head up there on purpose. Unlike the apostles, I wasn't invited. Honest to goodness, I sort of found myself at the top of a mountain. I just knew I needed to go. Once upon a time, I had attended a conference out in Portland, Oregon. It was a conference on ecological justice and education in the context of theological education. So we were talking about seminaries. It was a group of wonderfully nerdy people that I really enjoyed a great deal. And I had scheduled, because I'd never been out to the West Coast before, I scheduled myself to stay after a whole other day because there was an author who was at this conference that pastored in Portland. So I was hoping he would have coffee with me, and he said that he would. I'd also never seen the Pacific Ocean, so I wanted to take, you know, about the two-hour drive to go out and actually see the, other, the full other side of the continent. And I also wanted to check out uh, this, this particular author's church that I had heard good things about. And so everybody disperses from the conference, and I grab myself a rental car, and I go to my hotel room, and as soon as I get into my hotel room, I have a full-blown panic attack. I get on the phone, and I call Jenny, and Jenny's doing everything she can just to kind of calm me down. She says, Sam, it's going to be all right. Sam, you don't need to worry about it. Hey, you're just hanging out. It's just an extra day. You're not going to be out too long. She's just trying to talk me off the ledge, literally a continent away. And finally, she said to me, Sam, if that room is stressing you out, you need to get out of your hotel room. It's like, that's actually pretty sound advice. And so I jump into this tiny little car. And I had heard rumors at the conference that the Columbia River Gorge is worth seeing if you have the opportunity. And so I said, you know what, based on that, I'm just going to start driving down alongside the Columbia River. And as I'm going along, all of a sudden, I had been driving for about a half hour, 45 minutes, and there on my right-hand side was Multnomah Falls. Multnomah Falls, if you don't know, is the second largest free-falling waterfall in North America. And it's visible right by the side of the road. And it was, it's, it, and it's massive. It's right there. You can see the whole thing. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that is one of the most miraculous things I've ever seen in my life. And I just felt this pull to just stop and just observe it for a second. And so I pull into the parking lot And I'm like, wow, that is incredible. And so then I decide, well, you know what? I can see a bridge. And if you've seen pictures of Multnomah, you know there's this bridge kind of in front of it. And I was like, well, I should at least go to the bridge. And I I went to the bridge and started observing it from there. And it's, it's loud and it's majestic. And then I saw people off to my left were doing, were, were doing this switchback trail, and they're going like this, and I'm like, oh my gosh, there's, there's a trail. And without even thinking about it, I start walking up this trail just overwhelmed by the beauty of the Pacific Northwest, which, is, which was really the first rainforest I had ever been in. That's actually its climate. It was super green and super wet. And before I knew it, I was standing at the top of Multnomah Falls, looking down over a couple hundred foot drop, both terrified and in awe that such a thing even existed. And as sure as all of you are logged on this morning, I heard as clearly from God at the top of Multnomah Falls as I have ever heard from God before. I did not hear a voice. I did not, the skies did not open up. 
There was none of that. So if you're like, gee, you must be really special, Pastor Sam. God spoke to you. No, that's not what happened. What happened was I knew that God was speaking to me like in the core of my being. And I had been having a difficult time anyway in my life at that particular point. And at the top of Multnomah Falls, I knew the path that God had set me on was the path that I was to remain committed to called back into ministry, called back into caring about the land, called back into the renewal of the church, even called back into my own self to bring my whole self, my whole body, everything about me to this vocational call that God had put on my life. I knew it and I could see it as clearly as I could see the bottom of Multnomah Falls, I'm telling you. Now, I will also tell you that while I was up there, what I was supposed to do with all that was a complete mystery. God has a way of doing this. God will just sort of say things and then be like, have fun. And I'm like, well, what am I supposed to do? I, I, I wasn't sure. As much as there was clarity that I, sh- I was sure God was speaking to me, there was also uncertainty about what my path forward was going to be. I didn't have the foggiest idea. But it also didn't matter. I didn't need to know in that minute. I just knew that I was going to be safe and that I was going to be taken care of. I knew that this path was going to keep me in some sense of God's will. And I knew there was a way forward, even if it wasn't entirely clear. And since that day, that moment on top of Multnomah Falls has served as a bedrock for my own sense of purpose. And one might even draw a straight line from the top of Multnomah Falls to this pulpit here this morning in terms of me holding on to a vocational call, not abandoning what God had called me to, and finding myself in a community, and I'm going to take my own advice for today, a community that I dearly love. What gives us strength when things get heavy? What gives us strength when we know we're called to our life's work and that life's work is difficult? What gives us strength to fulfill the purposes that God has for us? Here's what I'm willing to bet. I shared my story about Multnomah Falls, not to make myself sound super spiritual. Trust me, I'm no more spiritual than anyone else. I share that story because maybe, just maybe, it echoes with something that has happened in your life. Here's the bet I'm willing to take this morning. I'm willing to bet that every one of us, whether we were on top of an actual mountain or not, have had an experience of the mountaintop with God. That first time that you sense God as clearly as ever before. That time that you heard God's voice, even if you weren't entirely sure what it was calling to, calling you to, you knew you were being called. And I don't mean sort of a saccharine emotional high. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not even saying necessarily, you know, one of those Sundays where you're like, well, that wasn't a half bad service this morning, Reverend. Like, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about something where the very core of yourself was strengthened. Now, granted, these moments are not frequent and they can take a lot of different forms. So seeking it out is going to take a little bit of insight from yourself. But surely you remain committed to the church and you're even here this morning because at some point God called you. That's my bet, that all of us have that moment. Maybe it's faded over time. Maybe you question if maybe you read it the right way or maybe it, carry, maybe it's, maybe it seems like it doesn't carry the weight that it used to. But you remember that moment. I want you to bring that moment to mind and just hold it as we walk through this passage together, 
Because this story, this transfiguration is instructive for us and can help us make sense of that experience and can give us strength for the road ahead. Prior to our reading today, Jesus has been working miracles. He's been doing all kinds of fascinating stuff. And, ulti- and then all, he's moving from one town to the next. And he pulls his apostles aside. and He says, hey, who do people say that I am? Guy talk on the road. And everybody's like, well, some people say you're this. Some people say you're that. And, excuse me, Peter, always Peter, says, you are the Christ. Nails the truth. Absolutely nails it. And in saying you are the Christ, what Peter is saying is say, we believe that you are the one who is going to set things right again. And this gets the, and Jesus is like, boom, you nailed it. That's exactly the right answer. And this gets the apostles all excited because remember, they're going to Jerusalem. And when they say you are the Christ, you are the one who is going to redeem all things, they get fired up. They're excited. Their insides are churning. And then Jesus is like, by the way, before you get too far ahead of yourselves... I'm also going to go to Jerusalem for the express purpose of dying. This doesn't excite the apostles quite so much. Because if they kill the leader, chances are they're going to do a lot of killing of the followers as well. But Jesus is open about it. He's like, yes, I am the Christ, and yes, I am going to die. And these two things make no sense to the apostles. And then Jesus gives them this instruction. He says, if anyone would come after me, if any of you want to be a part of this movement I'm putting together, if any of you want to be a part of what it looks like that the world is set aright, then he says, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus is sitting at the poker table. That's an interesting analogy. Jesus is sitting at the poker table with the apostles. He says, fellas, you got to be all in. It's the only way you get there. Jesus is asking for a large investment, a risky investment, a costly investment. It is the kind of investment that changes your life, whatever the outcome. And the question for the apostles, the question for us is, are we ready to do that? Are we willing to put our entire life on this bet? You see, Peter knows the truth. He's not yet ready to live the truth. And those are not the same thing. He knows the truth, but isn't ready to live it. Critical moments in our faith, friends, ask critical questions. And those critical moments in our life run deeper than, should I be nice to somebody, or should I give a little bit more those things. Those things are important moments, but I'm talking about the things that shape our very souls. The critical moments ask, what do I really believe? What am I really all about? And in this moment, the apostles are faced with one of those critical moments. One of the, they're face to face with one of the fundamental questions of faith. Are we ready for the cross? Are we really prepared to see crucifixion as salvation? Are we really ready to see a state execution as the means by which the world is set aright? This is the moment that the apostles find themselves. And it's often the moment, that moment that you heard from God, I bet was a critical moment in your life just as it was for me. But then with a wink, Jesus says, truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God has come with power. 
Jesus says, I'm going to show a few of you what's up. You don't have to go without confidence, and you don't have to go without something to bolster your spirit. Jesus says, if I'm going to ask this huge thing of you, I'm not going to leave you rudderless and aimless and alone. Enter the transfiguration. In this passage, Jesus invites his three closest apostles. He goes up on the mountain, and there Jesus is shown in all his glory. His clothes become white, the light is dazzling, and one of my favorite descriptive phrases in all of scripture, scripture, so white that such as no one could bleach it like that. And I'm like, y'all ain't known all of our grandmothers, all right? They could bleach some stuff white. But nevertheless, the light is dazzling, and Moses and Elijah appear. We read the story of Elijah. Elijah, representative of the prophets. Moses, representative of the law. Both who had experiences of going up on the mountain and seeing God in all God's glory. Utterly and completely overwhelming. One might imagine the fear being in such a spot. First, just fear for one's life. I certainly would be afraid if all of a sudden there's so much light that I cannot see. Further, the apostles would have known their own stories of faith, that to be in the presence of God, which I'm sure they were convinced of, to be in the presence of God many times is ultimately to be in the presence of death. It is to die. That was Moses. Moses was like, God, I can't look at you. And God's like, all right, you turn your head and I'll walk past you because to see me directly on is to perish. To be in that place, a place of total light, a place of total clarity, can be terrifying. Because everything is laid bare. Everything is seen for what it actually is. And that, friends, is scary. Particularly when we live in a world where appearances are paramount. But, if we're going to walk the path that Christ has given us, total clarity, things being laid bare, is an important first step. We cannot move forward as people of faith until we are willing to fully and completely embrace the truth about ourselves, about God, and about the world. Now certainly we can never wrap our minds around the entire truth, we are limited. But we cannot start a path of discipleship that will take us to the cross until we are willing to engage with truth. The truth about who Jesus is, the truth about ourselves. Yes, that means the truth about your lowliness and mine. And I felt that burden in Oregon. Just how small I really was standing next to God's gorgeous creation. But as we feel that smallness, you know what else we often discover in those critical moments? We discover just how lovely we actually are. How beautiful God sees us. There is tremendous grace in that moment. Nothing happens to them. They're allowed to be there. God says, yes, you might be small. Yes, you might be imperfect, but I love you. And so come and hang out in this precious spot with me. We are loved. We are, in, we are lovely. We are invited to this space. Our deepest sense of calling starts with the deep, vulnerable truth. And that in discovering, even in, when we can see all the truth, that you know what? God still thinks of us as lovely. So I wonder, did you see that in your moment, that moment that you're holding in your head right now? Did you feel that? Did you feel both vulnerable and safe? Did you feel fully known and fully loved? Now Peter, 
seeing what is unfolding and bold enough always to consider action. He says, guys, I got an idea. Such a Peter thing. He goes, let's build a house. This will be fun. I, one for Jesus, one for Elijah, one for Moses. You guys just hang out here. And you know what we'll do? We'll hang out here with you. It'll be great. Peter sees this as a moment of status. He says, we've made it. We're on the mountaintop. We didn't die. Let's chill. Let's just be here. We made it. Jesus says, some, there's some standing here who won't taste death until they see the kingdom of God. And Peter's going, I can see the kingdom of God. Let's just stay here. Clarity calms the soul. And we need that. But it can calm us in such a way that it can make us complacent. Peter wants to chill. Peter wants to keep this experience for himself. As if faith were about me and faith was for me which has never been what Jesus was all about. Peter might be thinking to himself, you know what, I've made it. If others want to come up here and get a glimpse of it, let them come up the mountain. Let them figure it out for themselves. I've made it and therefore I'm sitting right here. But Jesus is like, nah, nah, that's not how this works. And so then it tells us that a cloud sweeps in and covers everything. It obscures everything. There's no, they can make no sense of this situation now. Clarity was given. Now clarity is taken away. But clarity is not taken away to confuse us, and it is not to our detriment. Clarity is given to us so that we might hear the next piece of the call. Because when they can no longer see, when the way forward makes no sense to them at all, it's then that they hear the voice of God who says, this is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Maybe, just maybe, the clearest instruction that God ever gives in Scripture, this is my beloved son, do whatever he tells you. Y'all, we are called in those moments of clarity not to just sit and soak in God's goodness. We are called in the clarity of that moment to follow and to listen. Listen to him, follow, keep close, because if you go on your own, you're going to get lost. The road ahead isn't clear at all, but the instruction is clear. Keep moving, one step at a time. Stay close to Jesus. That is what those critical moments call us to. Clarity reminds us of who we are. Obscurity reminds us on who we rely. Clarity of truth and clarity of call in these moments is what gives us the power to do the work of the kingdom in the world. Both clarity and obscurity together are what give us strength to keep moving forward. And this was brought home in a most profound way this week. In daily prayer, we were just doing what we do. And this is how daily prayer always keeps me on my toes. We read this week in daily prayer about Nelson Mandela. I don't need to recount much of his story here, and if Nelson Mandela's not familiar to you, I invite you, just hit the Wikipedia page, start there, and then go down the rabbit hole you're going to go down. One of the most remarkable people of the 20th century. But Mandela was convinced in his soul about who he was, and he was convinced of the justice of his position, that apartheid was antithetical to anything that God had envisioned. He was committed to the justice of his cause, 
And because he understood who he was and he understood what his call was, he was able to endure prison in apartheid South Africa, one of the darkest places on the planet, for 26 years while he waited for that deeper truth to be revealed. Utterly clear and without clarity at all. That's what makes Mandela's story remarkable. And as he walked through these 26 years, let that sink in, 26 years of prison, only to be released and to be able to move South Africa from a place of apartheid to a place leaning into justice is one of the most remarkable stories of the 20th century because he had clarity and obscurity. He had both. As we enter this Lenten season, this is one of my least favorite Sundays of the year because I'm like, oh, Lent. <laughs> but Lent works the same way, friends. This Sunday sits right before Ash Wednesday for a reason. We, like Jesus, are called to go all the way to the cross to invest ourselves fully in the idea that the cross is our hope. And on Wednesday, we'll tell the truth. We'll try to get some clarity about ourselves. We will say, you are dust and to dust you shall return. We'll be honest about who we are as carbon-based life forms. And yet, we'll also hear the words that we are loved and lovely and valued to God. And there will not be a lot of clarity in this Lenten season about how to move forward. Clarity is hard to come by these days. But through the season, we'll hear the consistent call of Jesus who keeps saying, one more step, keep coming after me. And I bet this Lent won't be the first time that you've heard God say, keep coming. Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. I got you. You're good. Even if you step off the trail, I still think the world of you. Just keep coming. If you dig back into your memory banks, you'll remember the love that God has for you. You'll remember the call that God gave you. In both clarity and obscurity, you'll know where God was sending you. That is grace. And God still calls. It is a gift. It is the most precious gift and it is the strength to keep us going day by day by day. As we head into Lent, or as we continue in some ways a Lent that never felt like it ended, never forget who you are and never forget what God has called you to.